This is The Guardian. Yesterday, we told you how the British motorcycle brand Norton became a vehicle for a multi-million pound pension scam. Today, the investigation continues. 2015 Norton seemed to be on top of the world. It was really nice to be asked to be an export champion. In 2018, the Prime Minister Theresa May brought Norton boss Stuart Garner along on a private jet to trade talks in China. We've had great help from government to be able to get through some of those barriers and move on and grow our exports. And as recently as December 2018, we had the Brexit Secretary himself, Steve Barclay, at the Norton factory too. Great to be with Norton today. Great business, great brand, great example of the potential we have as we deliver this deal. All along, this was a company that to the outside world looked fantastic. A great British success story. But that was only half the story. There were these two Nortons. There's the, the one presented to the world to the politicians, to the investors about this this brilliant brand that was being reintroduced to the world and was going to become this great British exporter. And then there's the other side, the other Norton, the one that was really happening behind the scenes. It was a company that was secretly in crisis. The auditors for the company, Norton's own auditors, had refused to sign off the accounts because it was in such a state. The company was falling apart. British motorbike firm Norton has gone into administration. Founded in 1898, Norton is one of the last remaining British motorcycle brands and best known for its involvement in motorsport. Around, around a year after the Brexit Secretary's visit, Norton went into administration, meaning that hundreds of people who had invested their pensions in the company faced the possibility of losing their life savings. And for The Guardian's Simon Goodley, this opened up a whole new angle to his investigation. There were always nagging and unanswered questions about how this was allowed to happen. How the authorities stood by and seemingly did nothing, despite numerous opportunities to intervene over the years. Why so many senior ministers were allowed to turn up and promote this company and authenticate all of Ghana's stories. And 
Also, really intriguingly for me, is Stuart Garner himself. His story is sort of littered with business failures that worked out not so badly for him, but pretty badly for others. And the nagging question is, was Stuart Garner a serially bad businessman? Or was there more to it than that? Was he actually dishonest? From The Guardian, I'm Noshin Ekbal. Today in Focus, The Great British Motorcycle Scam, Part 2. Okay, Simon, you've just mentioned this idea of there being two Nortons, the one being projected to the outside world, and then the real one behind closed doors. Let's begin with the first one, Norton as it appeared in the public eye. Now, Garner ran Norton from a place in the East Midlands of England called Castle Donington. Can you take me there and into his world? Well, strangely enough, he's quite a mysterious figure. Uh, We don't know loads about him. Even though he loved to appear on TV interviews or in promotional material for Norton, when you watch any of that, he's basically trying to sell something. When's the book coming out? (laughs) Hey, I've got a title. It's funny you should say that. (laughs) Birds, Bangs, Bikes. Is it? Are you doing one? I've, I've scratched some notes, yeah. So birds <laughs> is my gamekeeping, bangs is my fireworks, and bikes is Norton. But he has done occasional interviews that do give you a bit more of an insight into who he is, or at least who he wants people to think he is. So I would say he kind of sells himself as a bit of a man of action. He, you know, he, for example, he says he, he can't live without his Swiss Army knife, which he carries around with him just in case. And the other thing you get from Garner in these interviews is that he's quite keen to sell himself as a successful entrepreneur, kind of living the dream as a self-made man. So he talks about his three and a half thousand acre game reserve in South Africa, where he likes to fly out to breed antelope and chill out by the pool, Um, which, by the way, he says is next door to Bill Gates's estate. And of course... His other property is, as you've said, Donington Hall, and is incredibly opulent. So it's this 200-year-old grade two listed country estate with beautiful grand staircases and chandeliers. The walls are decorated with hunting trophies, the heads of zebras and stags, and uh, Garner's personal collection of Victorian oil paintings. And then outside the property sort of were Garner's fleet of Aston Martin cars. And this is basically where he ran the the Norton business from, um, even setting up a factory literally in the grounds of this this country estate. Wow. So he's not exactly subtle then, is he? And so Norton is being amped up by government and it's being run out of this quite magnificent headquarters. Did the bikes live up to the hype? And was this a business that was thriving? Well, they were kind of like a mirror image of the man himself. So they look fantastic. I mean, you see some of the pictures. And I I mean, as somebody who's not even into motorcycles, I'm not taken with these machines. But you look at them and you think, wow. I mean, they do. they, they, They look they looked amazing on the pictures. But this business was not ready. 
there was trouble with sourcing all the parts because the industry didn't exist in the UK and these were supposed to be completely British motorcycles. They hadn't they weren't actually that well funded. Um so they couldn't really invest in lots of staff or lots of equipment. Um there was all sorts of problems um just with not being a properly set up and funded business and they were cobbling orders together in effect. And of course the flip side of that is if it's taking you so long to actually fulfill the few orders that you've got you, you you know from just from the outside and common sense tells you that there was very little income actually coming into this company. Apart from pension money. Lots of it. Neil, the retired binman and ageing rocker we heard from yesterday... He was just one of around 200 people that was scammed into investing their life savings into Norton, who were told that they could do this tax-free, when they actually couldn't. Overall, £10 million of people's pension money came into the company that way. Another of them was Robert Dewar. His daughter is Sally Holmes. He didn't miss a sports day, he didn't miss an event. He bought us breakfast in bed every morning because he was soft like that. I could talk to him about anything and everything. He loved to talk. Robert was a successful businessman. He had built a company doing commercial property rentals in Chelmsford in Essex. At the age of 44, Robert was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So in the beginning, it was slow the deterioration he would I would just notice that he started using a stick occasionally um maybe as I was um he'd come and visit me at university and he started with just a slight limp and he went from walking with a stick to using a wheelchair occasionally and then um yeah and then deteriorated further as Robert became less able to run the business and Sally's mum began to take over and also to care for him Robert began to think more about what would happen after he was gone. One thing that was very important to him was making sure that my mum would be provided for financially. And that's when the phone rang. And on the other end was Simon Colfer, the same man who'd called Neil and hundreds of others. And we know what happens next. So I remember Dad talking to me about Norton Motorcycles and what a great company he thought it would be. Robert invested £115,000 into Norton. And at first, he was quite happy with his investment. He was seeing the politicians endorsing Norton on TV. And maybe a little strangely with hindsight, Stuart Garner himself was actually staying in direct email contact with him reassuring him about his investment. Dear Robert, Norton is performing well and trading strongly in line with forecasts. So the message from Ghana was, everything is going swimmingly. A few years later, Sally left her high-powered job in the city and moved back home. She'd just had her first daughter and her dad's illness was getting worse, so she wanted to be near him. I just didn't know how much time I was going to be having 
with dad anymore and I wanted to make the most of that. I moved opposite him so he couldn't get away from me. Um, and she wanted to help her mum and dad get on top of their finances. Trying to jot down an order, you know, just their you know, pensions, their insurance, things that they have, just so that we were aware because I realised how much of the knowledge was in his head. Sally contacted the administrator of the Norton Pension and pretty soon alarm bells started ringing. I made contact several times, I chased several times and suddenly their phone line stopped working. Then one day, the police get in touch saying they've launched a fraud investigation into Simon Colfer, the man who had sold them the scheme. And then it really was panic stations. But the police said, we're only investigating the way the money was transferred, the pension liberation scam, not the pension itself. And, by implication, not Stuart Garner. In fact, I actually spoke to the officer on the phone one day And I was reassured personally on the phone that this was a legitimate pension scheme. Even with that reassurance, they wanted out. November 2017, the forms went in. And this is where the real battle began. So from November 2017 onwards, I think I started to chase monthly. A month passes by. The money doesn't come. This is... A email from Stuart from December 2017 um, when in response to me asking if the pension was in fact actually a scam he said the pension is absolutely not a scam and the good news is your father's pension is safe and being professionally looked after and it was at this point when I was getting nowhere where I then started reaching out to various different organizations I make first contact with the pension ombudsman. I've called HMRC. I phone the pension regulator. Um, I start an official complaints process. The months keep rolling by and the money is nowhere to be seen. Sally feels like she's hit a brick wall. It was a complete yo-yo of emotions because I would oscillate between thinking we've been scammed and lost all the money to being reassured that we weren't and the money was on the way. So it was so up and down, a very frustrating period. At the same time, personally, it was a very difficult time um, with my dad deteriorating in front of our eyes. We needed the money more than ever, more than when we actually first thought we needed it. Now we needed it. Um, He needed full-time, round-the-clock care. Even as Stuart Garner continued to reassure Robert and Sally, by now, they knew something was seriously wrong. And they were terrified that their money had gone. But there was no way for them to actually know what had really been going on inside Norton. Now, as part of this new investigation for Today in Focus, Simon has seen some of the company's bank statements from August 2012 to May 2013, the crucial period when Robert and the other investors' money was first coming in. 
So the way to read a company statement like this is to look at money coming in on one side and money going out on the other. And what became clear was that there were strange things happening on both sides of that equation. Um, So usually the majority of the income into a company's bank account is sales, uh, fairly obviously. But in this case, the majority of the money going into the Norton account was actually pension savings. So the money uh, that Robert Dewar and Neil and all those other people had saved to pay for their retirements. There's actually very little money coming in from actually selling motorbikes. So Norton's business was effectively just receiving pension money. And then on the other side of the ledger, you might raise an eyebrow when you see what Robert and Neil's money was actually being spent on. What was it being spent on? So they were told that their money was to be used to grow Norton for the long term. That was the specific phrase that was used. So, you know, you think of things like new machinery or um, an investment in a factory or anything like that, long-term investments that are going to make Norton a better business over the years to come. But what we actually see is a range of expenses that are just cash flowing the business in the jargon so uh, salaries legal fees stuff just keep the company going day to day Um, and then combined with those there are other expenses that are really hard to think of good explanations for so for example that that financial year there was a forty thousand pound loan from norton's account directly to stuart garner there was £12,000 of cash withdrawn from ATMs, uh, which is slightly curious. There were payments to Manchester United's ticket office. And there was more than £300,000 that was transferred out of Norton's bank account to a company called Alpha Cash, which appears to be a cryptocurrency trading website. So you said there that there was very little money coming into the company from motorbike sales. Do we know how many bikes they were actually selling at that point? Well, we've we've got an idea. Um, The company never said, but we have um, seen um, industry figures which suggest that there were very few bikes being sold at this time or in the subsequent years. So in 2012, which is the start of the bank statements we've seen uh, for that year, um, the industry figures suggest that just 40 motor bikes were sold by, by Norton. Um, 45 in 2013. That's not a lot of bikes. It's not a lot of bikes. It's not a, it's not a proper business at that point. So Stuart Garner, when he's talking to Sally, is saying things like, your dad's pension money is safe and it's being professionally looked after. But you've seen these documents that show that actually, by that point, he'd spent the money years ago on salaries and cash withdrawals and Man United tickets and cryptocurrency. And as these documents are something you've only recently seen, presumably Sally had never seen them before either. How did she react when you showed them to her? She was flabbergasted. So there's no sales. Why did nobody ask where the sales were from the, for the business? I'm absolutely speechless. Sorry, it's a daft question, but I'd like to hear your answer. How, how does that make you feel? 
um, it's hard to even put into words because I don't think that there was any human element involved here. I think as a human and a nice person myself, I, I, Stuart said something, I believed him. I kept him updated of my father's health condition and why we wanted the money so that he would understand the necessity of it and so that he believed he was a human and why would you not want to help someone out that was in physical discomfort and physical pain? I, I, I don't know, it's, it's it's actually really hard to say the level of stress that we were under at the time. They had a, um, my parents had a mortgage that was on interest only. And we had no idea how this was going to be paid. Like, no, n no idea. We'd taken out loans on credit cards to put hoists in the house so that my dad could stay there as long as possible. We just tried to give him the most dignified um, care that, and comfortable care that we possibly could. And um, I, I can't, heartbroken, I suppose. It's heartbreaking, really. That's the only way I can describe it. In the spring of 2019, there was a small breakthrough. One of the regulators Sally complained to, the pension ombudsman, ruled that Stuart Garner had to pay the pension money back, something he was legally required to do anyway. The ombudsman said that Robert had suffered exceptional distress and ordered £5,000 in additional compensation. Not long after, Robert died. Sally sent Stuart Garner one more email. This was um, two weeks after my dad had died. I think I was uh, angry. <laughs> Dear Stuart, my father chose to take his pension out of a safe and reliable pension scheme because he believed in you, your company and your vision. To say that you have let him down is an understatement. To you, he may be just one person, but to us, he was our world. I hope that one day you truly feel the ramifications of your actions and the impacts you have had on innocent people's lives. He didn't respond to that one. <laughs> no. <laughs> Eventually... In January 2020, bailiffs went to look for Stuart Garner at Donington Hall. They managed to get a bank transfer for just over £3,000, a tiny fraction of the amount Garner actually owed Robert's family. The very same day, Norton Motorcycles went into administration. And that was probably the first time I really started to accept that all the money was Gone. To this day, Sally and her mum haven't received 
any further money from Stuart Garner or Norton Motorcycles, nor have the vast majority of the more than 200 people who transferred their life savings to the company. For Sally, there's one conversation with her dad that still sticks in her mind. So even at the very end, he we, we talked about it. We talked about Norton. And actually, it was probably a week before he died. He asked me about it again. And he just used to apologise. Sorry for my mum that he tried to, uh, you know, enable her, make it comfortable, and it, and it hadn't worked out. I think he felt he had um, failed in that legacy he wanted to leave for her. Yeah. And the one person that should be sorry won't even admit or acknowledge it. It's just so infuriating and it just hurts it's hard it's hard to think that he felt responsible when he it wasn't his fault he did what he could he was duped he was conned he was scammed so yet he's the one that's sorry yeah coming up was Stuart Garner a bad businessman? Or something more? Simon digs deeper into what was really going on behind the scenes at Norton Motorcycles. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV, read a book, meet up with a friend, maybe a little nap. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Simon, the picture you've painted here is of a man who basically bought this business, became a near genius at selling a narrative around it. 
and one that was just too perfect not to be used and arguably developed by some of the most senior politicians in the country. This is a story of an apparently self-made man reviving a heritage British institution, bringing back British manufacturing, selling it to the world, and later flying the flag for post-Brexit Britain. And all the while, there was very little substance actually behind that narrative, apart from a pension fraud and a company that was completely unable to actually manufacture their product at any scale. That in itself is just a remarkable story. But I guess the question you set out at the beginning, and something that has always been on your mind, was that, what was Stuart Garner up to in all of this? Was he somebody who just thought really highly of himself and fell way short? Or was he actually dishonest in a more profound way? Well, I think the, the first thing to say here is that Sally's complaint to the pension ombudsman wasn't the only one. Uh, in the end, there was around 30 separate complaints that were pulled together. Um, and when the report finally came out, just a few weeks after Norton had actually gone into administration, it found that, that Stuart Garner had been dishonest in a number of ways, and it used that exact term. It said he had behaved dishonestly. So I think that we can say that he was, he was dishonest. Um, but I've spent really the past couple of years looking into Stuart Garner's history um, and there are all sorts of examples before Norton and during Norton, some of them not even involving Norton, um, which raise all sorts of questions about whether this act of dishonesty was in fact an isolated example or not. Oh God, so what sort of things have you been finding? Right, so... Just as a flavour, uh, to start with, there are at least two examples of former business partners of Stuart Garner's um, who claim that he forged their signatures on documents in order for him to raise money for Norton. Next, we sort of mentioned earlier that before Garner got into the motorcycle business, he was involved in trading fireworks. Well, one of his previous fireworks businesses also collapsed. And before the administrators arrived to see what they could salvage uh, for those that the fireworks business owed money to, it appears that a million pounds of the company's assets were suddenly taken out of the company, leaving practically nothing there to pay back the creditors. And the administrators said that they could have taken that matter to court, uh, but in the end it just wasn't worth the legal fees. So it sounds like a lot of questionable things were going on, some of which the authorities already seem to know about. Were there other red flags at this point? Well, we haven't really talked yet about the motorbikes themselves and some of the bizarre experiences um, customers had over the years. My name's John Hamilton. I'm 56 years old. I think I was about... 12 when I first paid for the Norton V4SS, but um, that seems that long ago. So, John is a motorbike obsessive. As with everything I do, one bike became two, became five, became ten. I think I'm up to 16 at the moment, but um, I can't quite remember. My worst fear is that if I die, my missus will sell them all for what I told her I paid for them. And in 2016, he ordered a Norton, um, put down his deposit of £4,000, and then he waited. 
Three years after he ordered, he was still waiting. waiting so long for anything to happen with these bikes. I mean, we were always promised delivery dates that just kept getting can kicked. I'd almost written the whole thing off. I'd almost thought, like, we're never going to see this money or the bike or anything. Finally, after paying down the whole balance, so 40-odd grand in total, it was time for him to go and collect his bike at this glitzy ceremony type thing at Donington Hall. I think pretty much everybody who went there on that first day was shocked by how bad the bikes looked. To be honest, that bike was a, a complete crock of shit. Nothing was good on it. One of the things that John wasn't happy about was the, the paint job. So he took it back to the Norton factory to have it redone, which shouldn't really have been a big job. Sat there for three months, nothing happened. Then they kept assuring me that the bike would be getting done before the end of the year, and it didn't. And then the next thing I know is when, um, well, basically the liquidators got in touch to say, oh, uh, not gone bust, your bike's still here. So John, a bit panicked, rushes to the Norton factory uh, to get his bike. It didn't have any wheels. It didn't have any um, electrics. The wiring harness had been taken off. All the panels, the fuel tank, the dash, the fairing, um, the brakes were gone. No seat, no lights, nothing. So what John and other customers say was happening uh, was that people were bringing their bikes in for repairs or servicing. And Norton was just stripping the parts putting those parts back onto new bikes and selling them to fresh customers. The dashboard, the digital dash that was on the bike, had a tracker in it. And I know that the dash on mine ended up in Spain. So, Simon, we've got old companies where assets have allegedly gone missing. We've got alleged forged signatures. We've got the stripping of bike parts. What else have you found as you've revisited this story? Okay, yep. My name is Mim Ainscoe and I was employed at the BMMA as HR admin and payroll. So Norton had an apprenticeship programme called the BMMA, which stands for the British Motorcycle Manufacturing Academy. Um, Mim Ainscoe was in charge of the human resources at the BMMA, so she managed the apprentices in effect. So for one thing... Mim says that the actual training happening there was, in her words, not worth the paper it was written on. If you were to apply for an apprenticeship in motorcycle mechanics, you would kind of expect to go in on day one and see um, work bays where there were sets of tools, a ramp for the bike, bikes to work on, etc., etc. You know, computers to do your exams on. Um, that wasn't the case. I mean, it was literally, it was an empty floor. So, obviously, all of this is not very good for the apprentices. But probably the most serious thing that Mim said to me was how the government funding for this charity was used. So there were there were government grants being provided to the charity that could be used for all sorts of things and all sorts of costs, paying for things like equipment, the costs of training people, the assessments, all that kind of thing. But they specifically could not be used to pay the wages of the apprentices but it was so um so yeah that's where um it gets a bit sticky because it was misappropriation of funding and indeed i've seen the accounts for the charity and they do seem to confirm what mim is saying there 
And not only that, they also suggest that they were trying to hide what they were doing. And how did Mim feel about all of this a few years down the line now? Well, I think that, that Mim is absolutely devastated about what happened there. If you if you bumped into Stuart Gardner now, sort of walking around along the high street or something, <laughs> what what would you what would you say to him? I, I don't I don't think I could. I I, I I don't want to see him. I'd rather see him behind bars because he's he's not done right by so many people. My point of view is just the apprentices, but if you think about all of the staff that were at Norton, all of the people that put money into Norton, all of the people that bought motorbikes with their life savings, with their pension money, he's ruined so many lives and it still frustrates and angers me because nobody has held him to account properly. Simon, listening to everything you've told me across these two episodes, it's really hard not to agree with what Mim says there. The impact of Stuart Garner's time at Norton is so huge. You've got the pensioners like Neil from yesterday, who is still in this debt because of the tax bill and who now thinks he'll be working until the day he dies because he lost the rest of his savings when Norton went under. You've got 200 people who the same thing happened to, including Robert Dewar. Just imagine the horrible stress his family went through in his final years, and no doubt the similar personal stories in other families. Then you've got all the employees at Norton who lost their jobs, the apprentices who never got the training they were promised. You have government grants that were basically wasted money which could have been spent on public services or on other proper businesses that actually might have grown the local economy. But to what extent has Stuart Garner been held accountable for his time at Norton? Arguably, he hasn't really been held accountable at all. I mean, he was he has got a criminal record now. So he was convicted of a, of a technical pensions offence um, in, in the spring of last year um, because he... He is, he is not allowed, or nobody is allowed, to invest um, a significant portion of a pension pot, which they are the trustee of, into assets which benefit them, which mm. clearly he did. He pleaded guilty, um, and uh, but he avoided prison for it. He got a suspended There was uh, no prison. prison sentence for this? There was no prison sentence for it uh, because uh, the prosecutor, which was the pensions regulator, did not allege that Stuart Garner behaved dishonestly in in making those investments, and the judge said that 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 was probably what tipped her into to handing a out a suspended sentence rather than a prison sentence. So, just to be clear, having devastated a number of lives, having having been seen to have illegally used up this pension money, Stuart Garner effectively was able to just carry on his life in lots of ways yeah he's he's able to to go about his life he he would he says that he's a victim of all of this as well and that his life has been devastated but there are lots of people who feel that he should have been given a custodial sentence um and that didn't happen simon what do you think this whole saga says about britain how we weigh up what matters and what doesn't 
and who matters and who doesn't. Well, there were so many opportunities throughout the past decade for the authorities who were responsible for policing all this stuff to put a stop to it. So the pensions regulator, HMRC, the Financial Conduct Authority, all of these bodies knew about the sorts of people who were involved in these pensions and this pension scam going back around a decade. And there were multiple missed opportunities for any of those bodies to put the brakes on and to stop it all from happening. So that is kind of what is really troubling, is that there are all these different agencies and it seems that responsibility uh, fell between the cracks and that nobody um, either A, tried to police it at the time or B, really tried vigorously to try and prosecute anybody since they saw it had all gone wrong. And finally, I think the role of politicians in this story is deeply troubling. Their desire to seemingly grasp any photo opportunity to sort of further political causes and make glowing tributes about Norton had real life and serious impact. People were partly persuaded to hand money to Stuart Garner or at least leave it with him on the back of what these ministers had been saying. Ministers who had often worked for departments that already knew about Stuart Garner, Andrew Meeson, Peter Bradley and Simon Colfer. So you have to ask where was the due diligence to prevent millions in public funds being handed to a man like Stuart Garner and who seriously gave any thought about the harm that could be done to the, to the pension holders. Out of all of them, only Vince Cable has acknowledged it and said that he was totally unaware that anything might be wrong. But he is the only minister to have even bothered responding to us. Simon, you said right at the start of this that some of the people you were speaking to have now said that speaking to journalists like yourself is their last hope. What are they hoping for now? And is there a chance they'll ever see any of their money again? Well... While we've been recording this podcast, the pension victims have received some good news. The Fraud Compensation Fund has said that they will be eligible for compensation. But we can't get too carried away with that. Firstly, the fund will only compensate what was put into the pension funds at the time. So well short of what Stuart Garner promised these funds will be worth now. And secondly, the fund will not compensate the so-called tax-free payments, the big lie that tempted the pension holders to invest in the first place. So using a very rudimentary back of a fag packet calculation on Neil's numbers, um, about they'll get back about half of what is owed. And finally, the fraud compensation fund only pays out when all other avenues of getting money back have been exhausted, which means it has to be shown that Stuart Garner cannot pay anything more. Uh, which sounds simple, but it isn't, and it will take time. And that means that the nightmare goes on and on for the victims and continues to have serious consequences. So in Neil's case, he had planned to be long retired by now, spending time with his newborn grandchild, and he can't afford to do that until he gets a meaningful amount of money back. And for some people like Robert Dewar and Sally and her mum, it's obviously too late now. It's too late to actually make any difference in the way that they they really needed it to when, when Robert was still alive. And so for Sally, as much as it 
is about the money and has been about the money and getting back what was her dad's. This quest has been about more than that. It's it's about justice. And even if they do see compensation, I think that lots of the victims here still feel that Stuart Garner has basically got away with this. And they won't be able to rest until they feel that he's been held properly accountable. As a result of the issues raised in our reporting, Stephen Timms MP, chair of the Work and Pensions Committee, said he was launching an inquiry into how watchdogs and prosecutors handled the Norton case in which £10 million of pension savings disappeared. Norton was bought out of administration by new owners in 2020 and is once again manufacturing motorcycles in the UK. We tried several times during the production of this investigation to reach Stuart Garner for comment, but so far, he hasn't responded. A spokesperson for the pension regulator said, In our role as regulator of workplace pensions, we successfully prosecuted Stuart Garner for three serious pension-related criminal offences, Garner received an eight-month suspended jail sentence and was banned from being a company director for three years and ordered to pay costs. We set clear expectations of those we regulate. Where those expectations are not met, we will intervene, such as by appointing independent trustees to secure scheme funds, as we did in this case, and we are tough where we discover breaches of law. A spokesman for the Regional Organised Crime Unit for South Wales Police said... This investigation centred on the transfer of pensions arranged by Mr Colfer and did not include an investigation into the pension funds of Norton. No assurances were given or could be given as to the finances of third-party companies by officers. The officers were not investigating the administration of the pension accounts of Norton and officers engaging with witnesses and victims were told this. A spokesperson for HMRC said... We do not regulate pension schemes. Schemes register with us for tax purposes only and registration is not a form of approval. The Financial Conduct Authority did not respond to our inquiries. Vince Cable, the former business secretary, said about Norton, I was not aware of any suggestion at the time of criminal and unethical behaviour or that there was any controversy around the company. The department was, from my experience, careful in selecting companies for me to visit and would not have engaged with Norton had any such knowledge been available to it. Theresa May, George Osborne, Stephen Barclay have not responded to our request for comment. You can read more about Simon Goodley's investigation into Norton Motorcycles online at theguardian.com. Our thanks to him, Sally Holmes and to Neil Davis. This episode was produced by Josh Kelly. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. We'll be back again tomorrow. This is The Guardian. 